If you happen to have $355 million, a certain former president would like to sell you a whole lot of gold sneakers. In the wake of Alexei Navalny's tragic death and brave sacrifice, Trump's continued embrace of Putin is disgusting, but will it matter in the campaign? Is the guy, is the case against Hunter falling apart? And is the bad guy in this thing really named Smirnov? That isn't like a little <laughs> too on the nose. Trump is testing out the politics of a 16 week abortion ban while Nikki Haley is refusing to drop out of the race. Finally, we'll have a grab and oar about gun violence. Welcome back to the podcast for the 54% of Americans who vote for progress in every election and want to convince their conservative friends and family members to join a majority. This is Majority 54. All right, Jason, uh, this is, you know, there was this months long civil trial brought against Trump and his business by uh, our attorney general here in New York, uh, Letitia James. And uh, this past week, the judge in the case, Justice Arthur Orgeron, um, prohibited Trump from serving as an officer or director of any New York firm for three years. And he uh, barred his elder sons, uh, Don Jr. and Eric, from doing so for two years. Uh, and he, instituted some other controls, like they have to like in install certain controllers and people to financially oversee the companies, essentially taking away his control of his own companies. It wasn't the death penalty for his companies that people imagined, but this is a significant blow to Trump. And then the biggest blow is that the ruling was $354 million in penalties for ill-gotten real estate deals, uh, plus around $100 million in interests. If Trump wants to appeal this, he will have to post the entirety of the money that he would owe in a judgment. Yeah, to me, there's a couple of things that are notable here. One, the thing about controllers being in charge, like basically people having to come in from the outside and run the business. So like Trump will still be the owner, but anything that they want to do, they've got to run through these people. And you just know, clearly, I mean, the case showed this, but you just know, based on what we've seen, away he, how he ran his White House and everything else, it's maybe a, you know, many hundreds of millions company, but it is clearly run like a DBA out of somebody's garage. And so it, it'll be, I think, interesting to see if they're able to do any sort of business at all with actual real business people who follow actual business practices in charge. Uh, and I, I would imagine that would severely hamstring it. It's sort of like they were like, like, you know, just out there having fun, wheeling and dealing, doing whatever they wanted. No rules applied to them. And then all of a sudden now they've got to follow the rules. And I think it's going to make it pretty hard to do business that and, you know, $400 million they have to pay. Uh, I think it's going to be real problematic. Yeah, Bloomberg Billionaires Index estimates Trump's net worth at $3.1 billion with about $600 million in cash assets. So this will essentially clear him out of his liquidity if you combine this with the other judgment that he faced. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how he handles this. Yeah, and I guess what now, Patricia James says she's prepared to, to seize buildings. That would be quite a visual, right? Yeah. Um, which could really happen. I mean, because it would be controlled by the justice system in New York. So if that's what it takes in order to garnish uh, this judgment, I would imagine that could really happen. Probably not in the next several months. Yeah, and this is where the audience is going to hate me. I don't, I don't love everything about this one. Uh, I, I talked about a long time ago the issues with recusal on this one, which is that James ran for office basically promising she would do something like this, which, as I mentioned at the time, we got to be careful about this kind of stuff because if you just replace 
Trump with Hillary Clinton and you put it in Arkansas or something, it doesn't feel right. But that's not the only problem here. Uh, there's this piece in the Wall Street Journal uh, op-ed pages by this uh, New York Law School professor named Stephen M. Cohen, who I can, from what I can gather, is a Democrat. And he pointed out issues with this law. So this is New York statute, Executive Law 6312. And it's a very broad statute that I think we should be careful about, and we would not want statutes like this all around the country. Essentially, what it says is that materiality doesn't matter, meaning if nobody had to have relied upon Trump's statements. So that's problem number one, according to Cohen. Number two is it doesn't matter uh, whether the bank bankers suffered any losses in relying on this. Um, and uh, and this is not, and the third problem that Cohen talked about is that uh, not only was there no materiality, you don't have to prove any loss, um, but this is a sort of an, a, an inter interaction between two sophisticated parties, big banks and Trump, who had been doing business for a long period of time. And I'll quote Cohen, he says, it's worth considering whether in the quest to get Mr. Trump, many of our public officials may be pressing the law in ways that will outlive the cases against the former president. I don't believe that the attorney general's case is at odds with the laws that exist in New York, but I do question whether there's a compelling policy rationale that supports using a consumer fraud statute in situations where there was no loss and where materiality is deemed irrelevant. So I think that's quite compelling if you take Trump out of the picture. I, I agree. Let me play devil's advocate here, which is um, that the role of the attorney general is to bring claims uh, sort of in the stead of the public, right? So like if there were, if, if there were significant damages, if, if Trump uh, overstated his wealth, as we now know he did, it's proven that Trump and the company overstated their position in order to get more favorable terms, and that resulted in damages to the, the people they were doing business with, then those businesses would have a, uh, a private right of action to take them to court. So the argument that you would make in favor of a law like this would be that you have to discourage two things. One, situations where people get away with it, where like they got favorable terms, more favorable than other people, more favorable than they should have gotten. And it may have worked out for both parties. Well, still, you don't want to encourage that behavior because it still it, it makes it where people who are doing this honestly are not able to get ahead of the line. And then two, the other argument I would make is, is that if both parties, it worked out for them, well, who's to say that those parties didn't it, like collude basically to uh, accept the overinflation of his values in order to give him those terms, in which case you're still screwing somebody out of deals that they're not getting. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that would be my devil's advocate to what Cohen's saying, which is that there is a place for the attorney general in the role of just protecting the public as a whole to enforce those laws. That said, do I think that it would be a $355 million judgment if this weren't a little bit like when they threw OJ in jail for trying to steal his memorabilia back when they when everybody knew that he had gotten right. away with murder? Probably not. You probably yeah. don't end, end up with a $355 million judgment if it weren't uh, a court feeling that they're trying to do justice writ large. Yeah. Yeah, I... You know, like I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over this one. I just, I think it's important for us. Like, I was listening to the the Russ's politics podcast with Rory Stewart. You know, conservative uh, from England, who's you know hates Trump. He's a conservative politician, and he was talking about how in so many countries it is it is standard 
for the party out of office, uh, with the party in, in power to go after the next person, right? And this is obviously, and we're going to see some clips from Trump. He's obviously playing this up. And that's why I think it's really important for us to make sure that the, of the 92 charges or whatever we have, and then all the civil cases that we prioritize, this wouldn't have been my priority. But the problem is with our federal system is this is, you know, it's, there's no coordination, right? This is just a bunch of individual actors and politics are at play here too. And James ran for office on this promise. She delivered on this promise. And in New York, if, if we're being honest, there's no case you bring against Trump that you're not going to make it stick in the island of Manhattan, you know, like. And it's going to be good politics no matter what. That's the other yeah. thing that we have to be honest about is that yeah. while it is not good politics for the Biden administration to go after Trump and, and they haven't, and look, let's give them credit, I think they wouldn't either way because they believe in norms and, and an independent justice department. Uh, it also wouldn't be good politics for Biden yeah. to go against Trump. It is yeah. good politics for the attorney general of New York to bring a big case against Trump and win. We, you can't yeah. get around that fact. Yeah. And that's where we just have to be careful. I think the audience is going to come from my head, so I'll stop there. I, I just I, this is not one of them that I I wouldn't rank this high, even though the damage is is huge to the battleship. Uh, we got to make sure that we fight clean, right? And he did break the law, as Stephen Cohen pointed out. So this is not. I'm not saying that this is totally wrong verdict. I just want to make sure that we're applying the law equally and that we don't get clouded by the politics. Because if we we switched it around, I, I think I think, I think what you're saying is is that people need to take this for what it is, which is he broke the law. He's the only one to be held accountable for that. He's going to pay for that. But when people bring this up to you, and if they try and say something like, "Well, look, if he weren't, you know, Donald Trump, this wouldn't happen," I think that your argument with individuals in your life is going to be more credible if you concede that point somewhat, and yep. you say, "Yes, obviously, if he were just Donald Trump, the businessman, still." probably he doesn't get the kind of scrutiny that gets this sort of case thrown at him. That is true, but he also did break the law. So yeah. I well, think you talk for about credibility Hunter, purposes. You and I have stipulated on this podcast that the same is true of Hunter Biden, that there right. would be no Hunter Biden case. And, and you and I both, like, I think, stipulated to the fact that Hunter should face whatever consequences he's going to face because that's just the rules of politics. Like, you know, if my dad were running for president, uh, I would probably have a lot more people going through my taxes, right? It's mm -hmm. just how life works. And it's unfortunate, especially when it's family members who get dragged through who have nothing to do with their parents. Now, Hunter is not exactly that because the allegation is that he, you know, was peddling his dad's name. We'll get to Hunter. You know, he, he's actually had a better week than usual, uh, which we'll talk about. But okay, let's take a break. Uh, we're going to go to ads. When we come back, we're going to talk about Putin's um, I don't give an F week or weeks that he's been having here. Um, then we're going to talk about the aforementioned Hunter Biden, and then we'll end with the 2024 election. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise, filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk growing kids should never eat. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered, chewable vitamin. While most children's vitamins are filled with five grams of sugar and can contribute to a variety of health issues, Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk, yet it tastes great and it's perfect for picky eaters. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full-body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits 
fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, concentration, teeth, bones, and more. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else you can imagine. Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. It's also fun to say, Haya. As you know, I'm a father and I'm always on the lookout for the best possible vitamins for my child to take. I'm so happy I've come across Haya Health. The ingredients are amazing and I don't have to worry about sugar or gummy junk because Haya Health is made without that stuff and it's still able to keep that great taste. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash majority. This deal is not available on the regular website. So go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash majority and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. I'm always on the lookout for immune strength during cold and flu season. I just discovered an incredible product, Arm Rock Colostrum. Now my immune health has never been stronger. I recently began using Arm Rock Colostrum because I need something to help strengthen my gut barrier, protecting against toxins, chemicals, and pollutants that drive inflammation. Colostrum, anybody who's had kids knows, is the first nutrition that we receive in life, and it's an exclusive source of all the essential nutrients that we need in order to thrive. Arm Rock Colostrum is sustainably sourced and is a proprietary concentrate of bovine colostrum that harnesses over 400 functional nutrients to strengthen your immune barriers, your body's inside suit of armor, and first line of defense against harmful particles from the environment that can trigger inflammation and make you sick. Arm Rock Colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. Arm Rock Colostrum strengthens all four layers of your gut wall, where 80% of your immune cells are housed. When the immune barriers of your gut are compromised, you are left vulnerable. The body's gut wall system is your critical line of defense against particles from the environment that can make you sick. Arm Raw Colostrum strengthens all four layers of the gut wall system naturally, optimizing your microbiome, fortifying your gut wall architecture, and replenishing your army of immune cells, securing your highest integrity gut health and immune defense. It's a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins, which are antibodies, that optimize your immune defense during cold and flu season. I take three to four scoops of Arm Rock Colostrum a day. You can increase it as desired for amplified defense. And as a whole food, there's no such thing as too much. We've worked out a special offer for our audience. You receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmrod.com slash majority or enter majority to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A dot com slash majority. All right, Ravi, uh, you in particular have been following the story of Alexei Navalny for quite a while. Um, and, you know, we've all, I think, been somewhat aware of it, but you've really dug in deep, deep to it. Um, you were gone. We recorded the podcast uh, or streamed the podcast last Wednesday. Uh, Navalny's death was announced on Thursday. And uh, in fact, I have had people tell me that they, they turned on the podcast hoping to hear you talk about Alexei Navalny. And I was like, oh, sorry, we, we recorded it the day before. So with that said, share your thoughts with us about the loss of this uh, great leader. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say, you know, it's it's hard to talk about because he, you know, as you and I have talked about, he, he showed a, a level of courage that is hard to wrap your head around when after being poisoned 
with Novichok, which is the you know seemingly untraceable, which I guess is a, is a is an oxymoron at this point because if if we know what it was, then it, it was traceable by the Germans. But he was poisoned in Russia, went to Germany for treatment, and decided to go back, knowing that he was going to be arrested. And you and I as we were talking about the year end uh, reflections and recommendations, we were kind of trying to wrap our head around that. Like how would it, how could somebody show such courage? And when he was at one of his recent court hearings, he held up a sign that said, I'm not afraid and you should not be afraid. And, you know, I cut a podcast, you know, within like 15 minutes of this happening while I was in India, because I wanted to just react to it in a less didactic way. And essentially I just gave some lessons from this, but the biggest one is we have to reject cynicism. These guys like Putin count on our cynicism, and there there are a long line of Russian dissidents where it's Boris Nemtsov or Anna Politskaya and now Navalny who had to pay with their lives, and each one of them said something similar, which is repeatedly implored us and their supporters to reject cynicism and to fight this battle on all fronts. And to me, that's the real lesson here, which is I don't know if I'll ever do anything remotely as courageous as Navalny did in going back to Russia. But I think we can, you know, the, the sort of the big lesson is there's the stakes are lower for us as people, Mm -hmm. right? Like the country, like there's a lot of, you know, obviously like what the U S does and whether Trump is president is very high stakes, but for us as people, you know, we're not going to pay with our lives unless something really dramatic happens, right? So we should show as much courage and energy as possible. And that's the lesson I take from this is, is to reject cynicism. Yeah, um, I, I think that's a great point. And to embrace political courage and moral courage and to recognize that when you put it in perspective to the way other people have to do it in other countries, it's not that much to ask, right? I mean, yeah. I can remember in the past, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, when people were trying to understand why people were hesitant to come to our side in Afghanistan and to fight alongside us against the Taliban, I would always explain it. I would try and use the 2008 Democratic primary as an analogy. And I would say, okay, remember when you were trying to decide whether you were for Hillary or for Obama? Imagine that if you chose wrong and one side won and the other side lost, you and your family would be murdered. Like that's why it's difficult in other countries to get people to stand up against their government. And so Navalny is somebody who, I mean, absolutely showed that courage. And I think we should have no illusions whatsoever about the fact that um, Putin had him executed in prison. Yeah. I don't think there's, is there any doubt about that? I mean, he seemed Best to be case in scenario, good scenario, he starved him out with the elements, right? Which is a Russian mm-hmm. tradition, right? That either way, the intention was to kill him. And you, you've probably seen this movie Inside Man. There's a quote from that. I think it was Denzel Washington who said, murder is rarely an expression of indifference. Like mm-hmm. the reason why they killed him is because he was the biggest threat to Putin. And they, the Russian opposition lost a leader, but they gained a martyr. And the hope is that whatever dynamics are happening internally, that you know the flame isn't snuffed out. And I, have, I just have a special reverence for people in countries like Russia who are willing to continue to fight. Like there are these mothers who continue to show up and protest the war, knowing that they're put on a list. And, you know, if they, you know, cross the street, uh, you know, the wrong way or whatever, they'd be thrown in prison, but they continue to do it. Like, I just, I just don't, 
I can't even wrap my head around Russian courage. Like it's, yeah. it's a special kind of courage. Well, all right. Speaking of that, let's go ahead and uh, let's speaking of the opposite of that. Right. Let's see uh, Donald Trump's reaction to this. Tonight, Donald Trump addressing Alexei Navalny's death for the first time, but without criticizing Vladimir Putin. Instead, Trump comparing Navalny's death to his own political problems. Trump writing, the sudden death of Alexei Navalny has made me more and more aware of what is happening in our country, claiming that rigged elections and grossly unfair courtroom decisions are destroying America. How will you put up that kind of money because you have a bond to put up? Even if, if you appeal, you've got to put up escrow money. That's uh, it's a lot it of dough. It is a, lot a of form of Navalny. It Trump has faced days of scathing criticism from opponent Nikki Haley for refusing to condemn Putin. I don't know why he keeps getting weak in the knees when it comes to Russia. Haley campaigning on Trump's history of praising Putin. Years of comments like that moment on the world stage when Trump said he takes Putin at his word, including when Russia was accused of meddling in U.S. elections. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. I will say this, I don't see any reason why it would be. So, you know, look, more of the same, right? He admires Putin. He seems to want possibly some sort of help from Putin, um, which we're going to get to that in a few minutes. They seem to actively Getting be it. trying to do that. Yeah. Um, but more than anything, he's just a chicken shit, right? I mean, yeah. like at the end of the day, I think he's just, he's just like, I don't want them against me. Yeah. And he doesn't care. And, and the audacity to look at this and not only not, condemn Putin, but to say, look, I, in this country, I'm Navalny. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the brass ones on Trump to say that he's Navalny. I mean, it's a, it's a joke. And, you know, I'm sick of these people in the alt media, like the Glenn Greenwalds and the Matt Taibis who, you know, all they want to do is talk about how Russiagate was a hoax, right? And of course, there were journalists who went beyond what the evidence said, right? Like the P tape and all this kind of stuff and the steel dossier and all that. But the essence of what people were saying continues to be true, which is as the Senate Intelligence Committee in a bipartisan fashion, I think when, when Burr was the chair, uh, and I think Rubio was the chair for a period of time, like issued like a five volume report that explicitly said that Russia was intervening in our elections on behalf of Trump. Right, not because Trump directed them necessarily, although he did get up in a press conference and ask them to to release Hillary's emails, if you remember. Yes, but this has been obvious, and he continues. He sounds like a a a, polit a, a Russian Kremlin politician, and I I'm sorry, I'm not going to stop pointing that out. I'm not going to start stop saying that that's immoral at best and suspicious at worst. And obviously, we'll get to some other stuff later with the Hunter Biden stuff. There just continues to be smoke and fire here when it comes to Trump. He also parroted the exact talking points of, true, uh, of Putin when talking about Navalny's death, saying it was a sudden death, like the exact words, which is this coding is really weird. But th that was that was his, so that was Trump and Trump refused to to castigate Putin. Let, let's go to Biden's response, which was quite different. But make no mistake. Make no mistake. Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. Putin is responsible. What has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. No one should be fooled, not in Russia, not at home, not anywhere in the world. Putin does not only target his citizens of other countries, as we've seen in what's going on in Ukraine right now. He also inflicts terrible crimes on his own people. 
And his people across Russia and around the world are mourning Navalny today because he was so many things that Putin was not. Yeah, I mean, like, he killed him. And yeah. this is their hero. This is the guy Tucker Carlson is going to Russia to try and rehabilitate in the eyes of Americans. And um, the question for me, though, is it's not even a question. I mean, at this point, do I, I don't think this is a persuadable issue uh, for Americans. I, what I do think is it, it ought to motivate all of us to make sure we work really hard in this election. That, to me, is how this is persuasive. It's persuasive to make sure that the people who are on our side do their work. Well, in the, in the short term, I think the, the, the key issue is we got to get this aid passed, right? So in the Senate, they passed this Ukraine aid, and Romney gave an amazing speech where um, we won't play the whole thing because it's long, but he wound up giving this really long explanation of how the, the rationale for refusing this aid on the Republican side keeps changing. And then he ended with this. Let's go to this clip. Now, I know that the shock jocks and online instigators have effectively riled up many in the far reaches of my party. But if your position is being cheered by Vladimir Putin, it's time to reconsider your position. In his credit, remember 2012, he was on that stage mm -hmm. and he said Russia is our greatest adversary and Obama mocked him for it. Yeah, we made, I mean, Obama I made right. fun I of mocked him, I think, for it too. He was right. Mm -hmm. He was right. He was right. He, what he saw was that, uh, that Islamic radicalism, Islamic radical terrorism, Al-Qaeda, that they were sort of not in retreat, but that we, we were beating it back and beating back its ability to strike. Uh, in a really effective way across the ocean. And that fight needed to be finished in a large way, but he could see the next major adversary rising up. And at that time, his party was saying the same thing. And now they've completely reversed themselves. I want to take a moment here to talk about Ukraine, to update the listeners uh, on what is happening in Ukraine right now, but also to remind everybody why Ukraine matters, because I think we need a refresher on that. So first, I mean, we have this major battle that's taken place um, in Ukraine. Uh, and it's what, Avidvia? I can't remember the name. I was I hoping you would be able to pronounce this. I got to uh, go back to the article. You're our Russian linguist. I know. Uh, I, I just, I'm not looking at the uh, article, so I'd have to. It's A-V-D-I-I-V-K-A. Yeah. Avdivka. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, I will say Avdivka. But anyway, um, it, it sounds like they've suffered, Ukraine has suffered a major defeat there. It is being chalked up largely to um, a lack of supplies and munitions because uh, American aid has, has stopped. Um, you know, they're specifically saying, just to not go too far into the tactics of it, but they're specifically saying that they are running out of artillery shells. When you are trying to keep an advancing army at bay, when you when you can't shoot at them with large artillery shells from a distance, like it's really, really hard to do that. And it's also really hard to then maneuver your own troops if you can't cover their movement with artillery. So uh, it makes sense. And they've apparently, they feel that like 600 to 1,000 of their troops may are either have been captured or are missing. It's a huge, huge problem. But I think it's really important for us to revisit before we get into the conversation about what's going on with the potential for aid why this matters, because it's been a year now. And I think a lot of Americans, including Americans who are pro-Ukraine, may have gotten some distance now between why we're in the war uh, in the first place. And, and so I think it's important to remember that one, 
it's not like Putin looks at Ukraine and just just covets Ukraine. Putin looks at Ukraine the same way he looks at the rest of the former Soviet uh, republics, and he believes that it is you know Russia's destiny to reunite with those places and and to be in charge of them again. I mean, it is not that unlike what Hitler was doing after World War One in the run up to World War Two was using nationalism um, to try and reinvigorate a, a country that has had you know an, an economic downturn. Um, I'm not, I say that as if it's like a legit political strategy. I mean, I'm just saying like, that's how he would have characterized it at the time. And so the reason that's scary is because given our alliances in NATO, if they take Ukraine and one, we should care because Ukraine is a democracy uh, and we need to stand up for other democracies. Like it's a real, it's a, it's a real uh, victory for um freedom and that's something we have to stand for on the world stage too if if putin gets it he we don't have any reason to believe he's going to stop and he's going to very likely end up in a conflict with a country that we have a defense pact with and then we can end up in world war three with russia another reason is is that if this is allowed to happen china looks at taiwan and says well if russia can take ukraine we can take taiwan uh, so there's there's dominoes that fall over the world and make it more and more likely that american troops are in harm's way, or even that Americans writ large are in harm's way, given what we're seeing now about Russia trying to develop nuclear weapons in space and that kind of thing. Yeah, I actually think it's the two-year anniversary. So I think it was February 24th. It's two, two years, yeah. Oh my God, uh, really? And Russia is turning out- Yeah, it out, is. It's two years. Jesus. Um, Russia's turning out uh, as many as five times as much artillery shells as they did at the beginning of the war. And they're a big country. Obviously, this is the least sophisticated geopolitical analysis. And they're able to throw tons of men and tanks at this. So apparently, they lost at least 13,000 men in the very battle that we're talking about, Russia did. And you know, Putin is putting all of his chips in the middle of the table here. Like I, I talked about uh, earlier, this group called, you know, I think it's Put Domoy, which is the way home, which is the wives, sisters, and mothers of mobilized men who've been protesting. You know, of all the things Putin will do, he won't break up those protests because he knows he's in a precarious place internally. The Economist had a really good article where they talked about how just exhausted the Russian people are. And so, although he's, you know, he's strident and he had a week where I, I call it his I don't give an F week because he killed Navalny. He, you know, not, this didn't get a lot of attention, but he murdered, it seems, a, uh, a Russian, uh, a, a Russian who defected, who moved to Spain. Uh, yeah, this. This guy, this guy yeah. flew his his Russian military helicopter to Ukraine, turned it over to Ukraine. The Ukrainian intelligence officials were like, "Dude, you need to stay here where we can protect you." Yep. He apparently chose to move to Spain, and they found his body riddled with bullets in Spain. Uh, look, I don't think the dude was mugged. Right, and these are not small discretions. Murdering somebody on another country's soil uh, is a huge diplomatic act of war. Uh, and you know this is what happened between India allegedly and Canada and potentially with us. And honestly, I wish we made a bigger deal out of this because this stuff is happening. Like, like, that is a huge step to go to another country. And Russia's been doing this, right? They've been poisoning people all throughout Europe. And uh, there is an argument to be made that Europe needs to step up as much as possible. And, and I applaud Sweden this week. They committed another $600 million. Um, they need to, in my opinion, reconsider uh, you know, more aggressive nuclear power, for example, because they're so dependent on 
um, Russia for oil. You know, this is why France is in a better position than some of the other countries because they have more uh, civilian nuclear capacity. But this is a real problem for Ukraine right now, and it's putting strain domestically because we got to remember Ukraine's a democracy, so they have different. Uh, pressures than Russia has, and they they tried the military tried to mobilize another five hundred thousand dollars troops, but the the request hasn't been approved by Parliament because there's domestic political resistance. So this whole thing could be falling apart if we don't all step in, right? The U.S. needs to step up. Mike Johnson continues to say he's not going to push a vote for this bill, which is so immoral, right? He's not saying we don't have the votes because I think we do have the votes. Mm-hmm. He's saying we won't allow a vote, uh, which is. You know, use the word chicken shit. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, there's nothing more to say about it. They, they have the votes. They're not having a vote. And Ukrainians who are fighting for freedom uh, are going to give their lives in, in greater number as a result. Um, and so that's why it matters. Uh, and that's why in the long term it matters, because believe it or not, part of the objective here is to avoid, uh, you know, our sons and daughters eventually having to fight in a, a massive war against Russia. That's, yeah. that's really what a lot of this is about. Well, on that cheery note, let's take another break. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, some interesting developments in the Hunter Biden case. And then we will talk about the 2024 election, which is still apparently happening, um, even though uh, you know there's, there hasn't been a lot of movement on the Republican primary front. So let's face it. After a night of drinks, I don't bounce back the way I used to. And if you're as old as I am or more, you know what I'm talking about. And you sometimes you have to make a choice. Either you have a great night or you have a great next day. And I've been facing that choice until I found Zbiotics. Zbiotics pre-alcohol prebiotic probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD students to tackle rough mornings after drinking. And here's how it works: when you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut, and it's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break that byproduct down, and just remember, uh, you can make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, uh, and then you could drink responsibly, and you could feel your best the next day. It's amazing. I wish they had this when I was in college. So I first gave Zbiotics a try when I was bringing in the new year, and I drank probably a little bit more than I should have. Uh, and the next day, I felt great. I went out for a surf, uh, and this is how it's going to be, right? Uh, this year. I want to form more sustainable and better drinking habits. I know so many of you want to do the same. Uh, and you don't have to take the all or nothing approach anymore. Zbiotex will allow you to enjoy nights out in moderation while working towards your goals. So go to zbiotex.com slash majority54 to get 15% off your first order when you use majority54 at checkout. That's Zbiotics, and they're backed with 100% money back guarantees. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So remember to head to zbiotex.com slash majority54 and use the code majority54 at checkout for 15% off. And thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and for the good times. All right, Jason, the Hunter Biden case is falling apart. Uh, the There's this FBI former informant, I guess we can call him now, this guy that you mentioned, his name is in fact Alex. Alexander Smirnoff, uh, who, according like if you, if you, if you were like, if you were pitching this and you were like, we're going to do like a, we're going to do a docu, uh, not a docu series. We're going to do a, a historical fiction 
about this. The guy's name will be Alexander Smirnoff. People will be like, get out of here. Like, let's come up with something different, right? Like, so this guy who basically was saying that uh, Biden and his son both sought $5 million in bribes from Burisma, which, you know, is a company that will never go away. They can't make any of this stuff stick, Uh, which again, I want to remind people that almost everything being accused of Hunter Biden uh, is actually true of Jared Kushner. Like he, yeah. he, and even this week he praised the Saudis. Like the guy is being bribed in plain sight. But well, I'll put that aside. Well, let's be clear. Like when we say the the Biden, Hunter Biden case is falling apart, I think the tax stuff. You know, that's still. I yeah, don't think gun, that's been changed by this. Gun, we're, yeah. yeah, we're talking yeah. about the political the, argument. The that political this is, argument. Yeah. The claims of corruption. The stuff that they're trying to do this impeachment inquiry about. And rather than sum it up, let's just play this supercut that Salty made of the Republicans, you know, going on TV and spelling out exactly what they were getting from this super credible source. The most corroborating evidence we have is that 1023 form from this highly credible confidential human source, according to U.S. Attorney Scott Brady. Claims. What is the whistleblower saying specifically? Well, as you know, Maria, Senator Grassley and I have reviewed a legally protected and highly credible whistleblower document, which alleges that there was an exchange of money for policy decisions made by then Vice President Joe Biden. We uh, have determined that whistleblower is extremely credible. And based on the bank records that I've been getting and you and I have been talking about on your show for weeks now, and based on the fact that nine different Biden family members have been receiving payments from a web of LLCs that are receiving payments from my adversaries around the world. This fits a pattern of uh, questionable behavior that the Biden family members have been doing to receive funds. So uh, we take this whistleblower claim very seriously. We know it exists. We know the FBI has the document. As Senator Grassley said, it is not classified. So we want that document in our possession. And publicly released what's now called the Biden family 1023, an FBI document. This FBI generated document based on information provided to the FBI by a highly credible, long-serving FBI confidential human source. The FBI document shows a criminal bribery scheme. The criminal scheme included Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, each being paid $5 million for Joe Biden to take a policy position in favor of foreign nationals. They were very eager to falsely attack my and Senator Johnson's Biden family investigation as Russian disinformation. Sadly, I haven't seen the same enthusiasm for the other side now that a Democrat political family is under the microscope. Okay, so for those paying attention at home, yeah, that that was uh, Jim Jordan, followed by James Comer, followed by the ghost of the late Chuck Grassley. (laughs) I was going to say... I there there have been few people in the Democratic Party as unkind to Joe Biden on the age question as me. We don't pay enough attention on the to a, what's going on in the U.S. Senate. Clearly, yeah. what the hell was that? So okay, this highly credible source, Jason, turns out to have been uh, getting information from Russian intelligence and Weiss 
has been going after him. Apparently, Salty was just telling us before this uh, aired that Weiss has asked a court that released Mr. Smirnoff to uh, <laughs> kindly put him back in prison uh, because he's a flight risk. Yeah. Okay. This so this highly credible source. Yeah. This highly credible source, it turns out just Lied in the last the few FBI, days, right. has, has admitted uh, that he what, was fed all of this by Russian intelligence officials. And that it was wrong. And, and it was wrong. And that he was talking to Russian intelligence officials as late as like a couple months ago. Right. Um, so <laughs> this, the question of like, do they want to meddle in our elections? Yeah. Like this dude who they've been running around saying is the major thrust of their case against Biden is just been fed all of his stuff and it's all been bogus and it's all come come from Russian intelligence officials. So uh, I don't know. I well, think that's is, pretty staggering. This is a sign that the sort of Russia gate framing has worn down the media is that, yes, there were there were headlines and stuff on this, but this should be front page news forever. That mm -hmm. that a foreign adversary is this effective at infiltrating our politics. What they, we just heard are all these senior people in our Congress parroting what, exactly what Russia wanted. They got what they wanted out of this uh, informant. It's a Tom Clancy novel come to life. I mean, they the Russians came up with a story, planted the story and got the United States Congress to launch an impeachment against the president based on that made-up story, using a Russian agent like named Smirnov. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, uh, that's my one note for the Russians. Like, come on. Like, yeah. What? yeah, I agree. <laughs> it's a little too on the nose. I so agree. I don't know. I mean, there's not much else to say about this, but people at home, you're going to be sitting around the table and people are going to be like, Russiagate, 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 point to stuff like this. And uh, I know that it's it's not exactly light reading, but the thing to remind people of is two things. One, the Senate Foreign Intelligence Committee was very clear that Russia had been intervening in our elections and wanted to do so on behalf of Trump. And Trump got up and said the thing out loud. You just like, don't give in on this kind of stuff. Like the Russians want Trump to win. Russia, uh, Trump and the Republicans are accepting that help. And they're scratching the backs of the Republic, the, the Russians in return by killing the Ukraine aid. They're giving the Russians what they want. That seems a bit shady to me. Yeah. One last thing before we move out of this segment. Salty, will you play the clip again, but just stop it right after Jim Jordan sto stops talking? The most corroborating evidence we have is that 1023 form from this highly credible confidential human source, according to U.S. Attorney Scott Brady. I just like that because that's Jim Jordan pretending he's like Elliot Ness. And yeah. he uses, like, I just like listening to Jim Jordan use the term confidential human source. Like he's like undercover running ops. And he's just a jerk who, you know, politician who wants to sound like he's uh, involved in subterfuge and espionage. And I just find all these fools hilarious. And, and they fell for it. This is, this is why we don't, this is why people like Jim Jordan don't go to the farm, you know, at Quantico. Don't get jobs like that because they're fools. And and you just, it's like a Russian intelligence officer's uh, just dream to work a guy like that. And they clearly did. So, all right, with that, you want to talk about uh, this 2024 20, campaign real quick? 
Yeah, I mean, it is really shocking how little there is to say about this GOP primary. Uh, Trump continues to be up by 20 plus points against Haley in the polls in her own home state. So not looking good for Nikki Haley. She vowed to stay in the race. At the same time, uh, there's a New York Times report that uh, Trump was open to a 16-week ban or was planning to push a 16-week uh, abortion ban. And apparently, he likes 16 because it's an, an, uh, an even number. He liked the way it sounded. Oh, my uh, God. That's actually real. And uh, But then there was this uh, other report uh, where Trump, uh, is, his team is now saying he's willing to sit down with both sides and negotiate a deal. So his strategy continues to be give the right wing what it wants while also trying to signal to the middle that he's a deal maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he'll try and kick the can down the road on, on this to the election so that you don't really know his point of view or you really don't know his position, but I think yeah. we do know it. Um, I would just say for the moment, I'm going to give some props to Nikki Haley, who sound is beginning to sound like someone who is not going to drop out and endorse Trump. Um, I'm not saying she's going to go, say, vote for Biden, but she is increasingly leaning into this and sounding more and more like Chris Christie did, which, you know, it's you know, better late than never. Can we I make guess. a bet on this? I think all of that being true, all it will take is dangling, you know, Secretary of State or something in front of her, and she'll be right back in the camp. I hope you're wrong. I, I'll, I'll make the bet. I think Nikki Haley, I think she stays the course. That's what okay. I think. And maybe I, I'm just, yeah. uh, you know, naive at, at this point. Probably I am. But all right. One last thing. We're going to do a grab an or, but I'm going to take a little extra time with it. Um, we streamed at one o'clock on Wednesday last week. Uh, and what I didn't know at the time is as we were uh, streaming, the shooting was taking place um, at the Chiefs Super Bowl parade. And I'm not going to do a long thing about it here. Um, what I'm, what I'm going to say is, is that uh, I have had a lot to say about it over the last few days. If you go to like my Instagram or, or my TikTok, I got so upset about it that I actually started using TikTok. Um, that uh, I, I have a, a six-minute video on there where I talk about a, a different gun reform measure that we should be talking about more often. Um, and that is uh, called PLACA. It's the PLCIA, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. And I just want people to look it up. I want you to look up this law that was passed in 2005 because we have gotten stuck in a rhetorical rut in this country where we're talking about a lot of things that really do need to happen, but we are stuck with a Congress that's not going to let them happen right now. Background checks, assault weapons ban, the whole, the whole run of it. And the thing is that this law was passed in 2005 that creates a liability shield for gun companies in a way that it doesn't really exist at, at, at this level for really any other industry. And it, it has a lot to do with why gun crime is as high as it is. And I am a firm believer in the idea that if we could only change one law, it would be repealing PLACA and making gun companies be held accountable by courts for making a very dangerous product and not taking reasonable steps to mitigate that danger. Uh, and I really think that if we were to repeal that one law, it would get done quite a few of the things that we talk about needing to get done functionally. Um, so I just want, I, I want people to do two things. I want you to go to Giffords.org. Um, disclosure, I'm a, uh, a board member at Giffords. It's Gabby Giffords' organization to fight gun violence. Um, there's a lot of information there about gun industry immunity. 
Um, and also, you know, go to my Instagram, go to my TikTok and find, I made a few videos, find, there's one that's just labeled if I could change one gun law um, and watch it. It's six minutes, but um, I think you'll find it really informative. And I think that this is where we should center the our our argument on on gun reform this election year is on is on plaque i really genuinely believe that well amen to that and you know um you know i i i I went to social i I don't tweet very often uh but i did tweet at you guys like kansas city like i you know it's been such a welcoming city to me and it's really sad to see that from afar on, on what should have been um pretty fun day for you guys so that really sucks it's it's awful for so many reasons one um you know, we, someone lost their life, Lisa Lopez Galvin, who actually was um, a year ahead of me in high school. Um, so I didn't know her well, but uh, I, you know, seen her a few times over the years. And, and she, she was just like the sweetest person. Um, and, and so I, I wanted to, to mention her. Um, but also, it's just, it's sad because for Kansas City, you know, the, this Super Bowl parade, it wasn't just uh, like a celebration of our team winning a championship. It's kind of a culmination of a few years of, of Kansas City's ascendance on the on the world stage. I mean, we just got, you know, we're going to host World Cup games, including a quarterfinal in 26. We've just had really big things happening in the city. Um, and it's just felt like the center of the universe in a way that doesn't really happen for us in the middle of the country. I mean, some of it's stuff like the Taylor Swift thing and all that, but it's really just like Kansas City's been really really doing great things. And when your city, especially when you're from a place like this, when your city is ascending that way, it it affects how you feel about yourself. Like it transfers to how you feel about yourself. And it's really, it's been good for the people in this town. And one of the things that I worry about is we're so polarized as a country now. If we also cannot safely celebrate communally, that's only going to make that worse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, these are all unfinished thoughts, but but that's sort of my Kansas City hat putting it on. But all right, let's shift out of that for just a second and talk about something more uplifting, which is you just got back from India and now you're about to get on another flight. Yeah, What's I got I go, I'm going to so go to Arizona next. I got to go to there for some some speech I got to give there and then I got to go to LA and then back to dc where i'm participating in a debate and then i'm back home again but uh india was it was in this one was more high stakes in the sense that i was kind of pushing some of the sources that could give me some issues you know people closer to this to the story and to the government i made it out safe i had some dicey moments where i got yelled at by a few different subjects of the stories like there was this you know, a critical part of our story is this, uh, you know, I'm kind of following a, a death that was, you know, mysterious of like a public official, right? And and there was an autopsy that was conducted by a, uh, I got to choose my words carefully here, by somebody who had a lot of allegations that he manipulated autopsies. And so I tracked this guy down uh, and he's like a known you know, he has lots of allegations of sexual harassment and other corruption, but he's very close with the government uh, and especially the, the sort of government of the state that I was in. So I track him down and I I get into his office and he just shouted at me for 15 minutes. Um, that was kind of like a indicative of my experience. But, I, you know, that's all he did. You know, this gets to Navalny, right? It's like, I don't know the last time I was that 
scared was when I was sitting outside this guy's office because there was like a gaggle of men outside, huh. basically between me and the exit. So at this point, I was like, you know, I was just there. Uh, Did you have anybody with you? So it's funny. Um, I had this reporter named Ruksha, who's an NPR reporter who's been helping me on the ground. We decided that I would go in by myself because I was going to sort of play up my naivete as an American and be like, oh, I'm just looking to talk about, you know, forensics or whatever. And uh, so that's what we did. But then as, as I was waiting outside of the guy's office, I, I texted her. I was like, hey, you should come in here. So she came in <laughs> yeah. with me. Uh, but in the end, you know, I had this surreal experience, uh, you know, two nights ago when I left where I was having um, tea with the guy who, uh, who kind of broke the story. He came out to Delhi for a final interview. And, you know, I said to him, I was like, this is probably the last night I'll ever have in India because once this thing happens, I won't be able to go back. Hmm. Um, but it was, it, it was, it's been a wild ride and I'm having fun kind of putting it all together. And the, uh, it, it's interesting because at the, the week, last week, in the middle of the week, I was like having coffee with somebody who's kind of involved in pro-democracy movement in India. And this is before Navalny died. I was actually giving the, like this sort of rah-rah about Navalny. And I was talking about okay. the Moscow 4, um, this Moscow 4 anecdote, which I think I shared on this podcast, where basically Navalny was talking about how the, the sort of powerful and corrupt are not always as competent as you think they are. And that was kind of the, the gist of what I was uh, getting across to this person. And it was, it was interesting, but I, I like, it was, it was cool to see India the way I've been able to see it. And I, I suspect I won't be able to go back, but I got a lot out of it. Uh, and, and hopefully I'll be able to tell this story in an effective way. And so now we're going to, we're going to work on it. You know, Ben, you know, Ben Rhodes is executive producing it with us and we're, going to release the first episode as planned in, at the end of April in line with the elections, and it'll be a part series. I can't wait to hear it, man. I'm proud of you for doing it. I'm glad you got out safe. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Ravi, for coming back safely from India. Thank <laughs> you to everybody for listening. Uh, thank you to the Midas Mighty. You can follow Ravi and myself on all, all things, including me on TikTok now. Um, I'm at Jason Kander. He's at Ravi M. Gupta. Please leave us a five-star review. It helps other people find this show. And remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.